this is a big Sunday in so many ways. Not only is it the start of uh, Holy Week, but it's also the culmination of our year-long journey through John's Gospel. I mean, you might remember what we've done back in the fall when we were looking at the light and the lamp, looking at who Jesus is and who we are, and we heard John the Baptizer say that famous phrase referring to Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease, and we talked about what that meant for us. Along the way, we listened to Jesus as he described himself in many ways, including those beautiful I am statements about himself. I am the true bread from heaven. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. Those beautiful expressions of who he is. And the last few months, we've been listening from John 13 through John 17 as Jesus gave us his last words and words about his lasting presence. It was here in John 13 that he He gave us a new commandment, a commandment that kind of captures the heart of the gospel and captures the heart of what we want to be as a church. When he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Everything we've gone through in the last eight months has led us up to this week. A moment when Jesus lays down his life for others and calls his followers to do the same. He laid down his life, we lay down our lives for God's glory through the proclamation of God's love to the world. And so in the days ahead, we are going to continue our journey in John's gospel by immersing ourselves in every word of John's gospel from John 12 through John 20. We'll be doing this up to the week after Easter as we want the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us through his word and mold and shape us more fully into Christ's image. And it all begins with chapter 12, which you just heard. It seems to me, as I have um, gone through that chapter multiple times in the last 10 days, it seems to me that the focal point of that entire chapter from the people's perspective, the crowd's perspective, is found in verse 21, where these these, um, Gentile believers, these, these Greeks, said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. It seems to me that at this point in his ministry, at at this time in the Feast of Passover, at this place called Jerusalem, it seems that everybody there wanted to see Jesus, and it's easy to understand why. It was just a short time ago that Jesus did the most stunning miracle in front of a large group of people when he raised Lazarus from the dead. That was chapter 11. Now, when he raised the widow's son and Jairus' daughter, it was a little bit different because, because, because Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. Everyone knew that all hope was gone and all that was left was a rotting corpse inside the tomb. And everyone knew that resurrection was a commonly recognized sign that God was restoring his people, was the first sign of God's restoring work. So every time somebody saw Lazarus, he became a walking symbol of God's restoration work through Jesus. So this was something everyone was talking about, and with Passover just around the corner, a few days away, everyone meant a lot of people. It was the miracle that prompted many to put their faith in Jesus, and it was the miracle, the thing that happened, that prompted the high priest and the religious leaders to decide that it was better for one person to die, better for Jesus to die, so that the entire nation might survive. 
They knew that, or they thought, that Jesus was going to raise up a revolt against the Roman army. The Rome was going to come down on them, crush Jesus' revolt, and then destroy Israel as a nation. Let's kill Jesus, save the nation, good idea. You can sense the, 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 the tension that's going on in the city right now. And we can feel that. John tells it to us in the last few verses of the 11th chapter as a lead into chapter 12. Listen to what he put. He said, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. Because unlike our culture, you can't just show up at the last minute. There are things you've got to do to prepare once you arrive. So people were coming days early. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? I mean, you can just, just, can you imagine the buzz that's going on? Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. Has he come yet? I don't know. Is he coming? I don't know. What's people saying about it? That's what the people are saying. John continues, but the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so they might arrest him. For many different reasons, everyone was saying, we want to see Jesus. Now, some wanted to see him because of their love for him. The day before Palm Sunday, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus um, hosted a dinner for Jesus' honor. And you could be sure that everybody who was invited had been also at the funeral and the resurrection, and most of the people there believed. And I think that, that Mary's actions with the expensive perfume spoke for most of the people in the room. As she gave her very best, to the one she loved and considered to be her Lord. Now I say that it spoke for most of the people in the room because we also know that in the room was also Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray Jesus. And I think that Judas wanted to see Jesus too. But he wanted to see a Jesus of his own making. He had some ideas of what Jesus was expected to do and to be, and when Jesus wasn't matching up with his expectations, rather than change his expectations to match what Jesus is teaching, Judas chose a different path. But there was another group that was with them as well. On that Saturday, there was also a large crowd of Jews who wanted to see Jesus. See, they had learned that Jesus had arrived in Bethany and that Lazarus was there too, and the two of them were together. And so, out of excited curiosity, they all came up to Bethany to see what was going on. You can imagine, there's this little house, and Jesus is in there, and they're having this little party, this little celebration, and there's hundreds of people gathered around, looking through the window, jostling for a position, trying to see the two big celebrities, taking selfies, you know, trying to show, hey, look where I am, I'm here. Look who's over, look who's over my shoulder. But all of this was just a warm-up for what was going to happen the next day. For the next day was the first day of the week. Passover was now just five days away, which meant that many of the pilgrims had already arrived in Jerusalem. And John tells us that, quote, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to the city. How did they hear? Well, yeah, there was, there, was a, there was a grapevine thing that was going on, but I think it's interesting. Verse 17 tells us that those who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead were kind of like the advanced work. They went over to Jerusalem ahead of time, and they were saying, hey, you know the guy that you're really excited about? The guy you want to see? The guy you're wondering about where he is? He's coming down the Mount of Olives now. Grab your family and go see him. And so everybody begins streaming out the eastern gate to go to the Mount of Olives to see this Jesus that they've been talking about now for a couple of days. 
Now, we don't have any way of knowing how many people were actually there, but estimates range anywhere from 150,000 to over 2 million. But you can imagine that, you know, if, if, if even half of that number of people in that city are streaming their way quickly to the Mount of Olives, somebody watching the site, let's just put them up on a second floor somewhere looking out or maybe just watching everybody moving, this whole mass of humanity moving in one direction, it's understandable why the Pharisees and religious leaders said, look, we're lost. I mean, the whole world has gone after him. And as if to support their claim, the very next verse shows how right they were when it talks about some Greeks, some God-fearing Gentiles, who, for whatever reason, maybe they weren't able to, or, or maybe they didn't want to, they believed in the one true God, but they, they, they didn't quite make the whole step to become Jewish. These God-fearing Gentiles said, we want to see Jesus. Everyone in all the world wanted to see Jesus. Some desired it out of devotion, others were simply curious, some came because they had sincere questions. I think that was going on in verse 34. This was a sincere question they had. They were trying to figure it out. The, the crowd said, now, we understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. So, so how can you say the Son of Man's going to die? Just, just who is the Son of Man anyway? I mean, they're, they're, they've got their expectation. They're hearing Jesus. Jesus doesn't meet their expectation. They're saying, how do we need to change to understand what you were doing? And I put the disciples in this mix as well because they weren't completely sure as to what was taking place at this point in time. Verse 16, Jesus is coming down the mountain on the colt of a donkey. Everyone's out to greet him. And we read there that his disciples didn't understand at that time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things, these prophetic utterances, these things that were written in Scripture, had been written about him. And finally, I think it's important to note that not all the religious leaders were trying to stop Jesus in their tracks. There were some that had put their faith in him, but they were too afraid to tell anyone about it. In verse 42, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise of God. So, from the crowd's perspective, everyone wanted to see Jesus. They might have had different expectations of who Jesus was going to be. They might have had different motives for wanting to see him. But everyone wanted to see Jesus. That's what the people were thinking. Jesus, on the other hand, he had a different focal point. And we find that in verses 24 through 28. He said, I tell you the truth. And remember what we said about that phrase? Amen, amen, truly, truly, verily, verily. What he's about to say is he's saying, I, what I'm about to say is absolute truth. You've got to listen to me. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now my soul is troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. You see, while everyone else was looking back and thinking about Lazarus's resurrected life, Jesus was looking forward and thinking about his coming sacrificial death. 
Lazarus' resurrection brought a blessing to one life. Jesus' death on the cross is going to bring a blessing to countless lives, like a seed planted in the soil that brings out a harvest of new lives to God's glory. And it's right there in the middle of it all that we find some words of truth for us. Jesus said, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now, now all four Gospels include this as Jesus' teaching, but they, they have it in different contexts with some different words as well, which tells us that Jesus spoke these words at various times in his ministry. Unlike what we do today, the rabbi didn't just say it once and move on. He would say it multiple times, especially what was important. So Jesus taught this many times. Losing our life for Jesus' sake, and there's one place that says that we hate our lives. It doesn't mean that we hate our lives, you know, beat ourselves up and think we're ridiculous and stupid and all this stuff. You know, it doesn't mean that we hate our lives. It means that we love Jesus and his gospel more than the things of our lives. 17th century Scottish pastor Thomas Chalmers wrote and talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. The power that a new affection has to expel away from us other things that we once thought were dear and near. And we know what this is like, right? It's the young man who finds himself with a girlfriend and suddenly he's able to give himself more time to that girlfriend than he does to his job or to his studies, you know? It's, it's like finding a new... Um, online TV series and getting so caught up in it that you skip the chores and you skip other things that you'd plan to do just so you can binge watch a few more episodes. You see, a new affection can help us expel other things from our lives, including those things that we hold dear and that we love. And if you think about it, our lives really are filled with a number of loves, aren't they? What we love impacts how we live and the choices that we make. If, if I love the praise from people, it's going to change the way I live. Perhaps I will not engage in any kind of controversial topic because I don't want anybody thinking badly of me. Or maybe I love the praise of this group here and I know what they think, and so I'm going to throw all kinds of things that build up what they think so that they'll think wonderful things of me. If I love comfort, or technology, or toys, or travel, or anything else, the things that I love make it easy to say no to the things I don't love. When we love our life and try to keep it, we pursue and we protect the things that we love. But Jesus tells us if you pursue these lesser things, you will end up losing your life. However, if you learn not to care for these things, you will find eternal life. Now, the author of this gospel is John. He also has some epistles, some letters that he wrote. And in his first epistle, he takes this same teaching and he uses different words to talk about it. He says, Do not love the world nor anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. And the world and its passions, its desires, its loves, this world is passing away. But the one who does the will of God, the one who loves what God loves, they will live forever. Now there are two ways we can stop loving and pursuing the things of the world. I mean, the first way is, is by combining our, our logic with our, our self-discipline. 
our willpower. You know, the logic looks at it and says, okay, I love this, but if I carry this out to its fullest extent, I realize it doesn't really bring me anything of eternal value. Therefore, I will use my willpower to stop loving it and stop doing it. That's one way to try it. It lasts for a season. It works a little bit, but ultimately it's very ineffective because it doesn't change the heart. It just changes the outside activity. The second thing we can do is to attach ourselves to something of greater importance, something with a deeper desire to it, so that the heart replaces the old attachment with a new and better one. When Jesus becomes our new affection, we find ourselves empowered to let go of those things that truly don't matter eternally and to embrace the things that do. So Jesus says, let go of those things you love. Let go of those things that are clinging to you <clears throat> and embrace me and find true life. I think it's interesting. The world says, if you follow these things that you love, you will find life. Life's going to be good for you. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. But really, it just brings death. But Jesus says, if you learn to die to yourself, you will find true and real life. Jesus had his coming sacrifice in mind, and because of the joy of the harvest of many new lives that he had in mind, he was able to endure the cross and despise its shame. In verse 32, Jesus spoke directly about the cross. He said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. His loving sacrifice on the cross will draw all people. Not going to compel them, not going to drive them, not going to drag them. He's going to woo people from every culture, from every worldview, from every mindset. Woo them to himself. Just prior to the COVID pandemic and shutdown and everything, I was having a conversation with the owner of a Catholic bookstore. And she related to me a story of two men from China that came into her store one day. They were, this was their first time in America. They were getting a feel for the culture and our environment and such. And so they saw this Catholic bookstore and walked in and engaged uh, the, the owner in a conversation. And along the way, one of them looked up at the wall and pointed to one of the crucifixes that were up there. And he said, will you tell me what that symbol means? I see it in many places. So she gave him the full story. She talked about the father who sent the son to be the, the sacrifice to pay for the penalty for our sins, for all that we did wrong, so that we could have eternal life with the father, a, a relationship with God Almighty that never changes, that can never be stopped. Father, son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When she finished telling the story, they were listening very intently. The man said, so that symbol means love. Jesus loves me. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. Everyone that day wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus wanted everyone to see the cross so that people might be drawn to him. They might reorder their love and their affections toward him and find the true life that is found in him alone. And if you think about it, things haven't changed much. Most people today who hear about Jesus, I mean, if you ask them, they sure, they'd want a chance to see him too, a chance to chat with him a little bit. Some would want to see him because they love him dearly and they want to express their devotion to him. And 
fall down at his feet and, and anoint his feet with oil and wipe them with their hair and just love him in every way they can. Some would want to do that. Others would want to see him to see if they could shift and change who he is so that he could become what they think they need him to be. Others would want to see him out of curiosity. Who is this guy? And others, I think, to be honest, would want to see him out of habit. Because after all, this is Holy Week and Easter, right? We always want to see Jesus now because that's what we've always done. So as we enter this most wonderful and terrible of weeks, I'm wondering, why do you want to see Jesus? I mean, you're here today. You tuned in online. There's a reason you're here. You want to see Jesus. Why do you want to see him? As you are seeking for him, what might he be calling you to do? Because when you see him, he always has a word for the person who sees him. Maybe Jesus is going to invite you to take that precious vial of perfume. I put that word in quotes because it's anything that might be precious to us. That precious thing that we've been holding on to for decades that we say, no, I've got to hold on to this. And he's saying, will you give it to me? A dream, a desire, a hope that we have that, that we love more than Jesus. Maybe he's Inviting you to give that to him? Or let me take the same topic and turn it a little bit, because I know that in the last couple of years, these COVID and all the stuff that's gone on have, has just, has just kind of worn some people very thin, and you are so weary, and you are hurt, and you are injured. And maybe you want to see Jesus because you need his help. Maybe you are not going to see Jesus to have him invite you to give up something else or to add something else to your life. Maybe, maybe when you see Jesus, you need to be ready for him to invite you to surrender more fully to his love, to hear him express his full acceptance to you, your full acceptance to him, and then to receive from him the strength you need to go through it another day. So no matter what your situation might be, how might Jesus invite you this week to receive more of the life that he wants to give to you? It is his death that brings us life, so I encourage us to set this week apart from every other week in the year. It's just one week out of 52. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. Our schedules are already set. Work's already in there. But how can we set part of this week aside as different? Here's one suggestion. Join with me sometime this week to read through or listen through the entire Gospel of John one time in one sitting. Just let those words wash over you again. Hear from the Holy Spirit. Be aware of what he's saying to you. And then, and then after you listen to or read through the Gospel of John again, sit down with your friends. Sit down with your family. Sit down with your Bible study. Sit down with your small group, whatever it is, and, and share with them what was encouraging to you, what was challenging to you, the questions that you have. Because quite honestly, friends, the most significantly spiritual transforming event we can do is engage God's Word with other people. So give it a shot and see what happens this week as we set this week apart. For in whatever way you can, 
Use this week as a time to ponder his life, to ponder his death, and to consider the life that he gives to everyone who will simply cling to him more than anything else. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, we do want to see you. We know that you and the Father are one, and so that when we see you, we see the Father. Oh, Lord, would you help us see you this week? Would you help us meet you through the gospel record, and would you provide for us what we need to more fully receive what you have to offer to us? And Lord, it does seem to all center on that cross, Lord. The world looked at it and saw shame, but you received glory. The world saw death, and you were offering life, true life, real life, indestructible life, life that lives today. We confess that we don't think much about it. But this week, would you please help us ponder what happened on your cross and what your love and the life you offer means for us today. We want to see you, Jesus. Make it real. For we ask it in your name. Amen.